Amen, amen. So by a show of hands, who's done with their Christmas shopping already? Very good, very good. No one, no one, good. <laughs> so we're all a last minute church, I guess, huh? This is good. Hey, if you're a guest here today, if this is your first time, or maybe you haven't been tracking with us for the past five weeks, every week, uh, we're actually in the last sermon of a series called Imagine. Imagine, and, and next week we're going to start a brand new series called Songs of Christmas, and we're going to be anticipating the Christmas season, and, and I, I'm so excited for this series and what God's going to do through it. Uh, we're going to be looking at the songs that are in the first Christmas story, so like the song of Mary, the, what the angels are singing, what they tell us about God, and, and uh, I'm just so excited for what God's going to do in that, but really been excited as I've heard stories from people as, as far as how God is using this series, imagine as we're looking at print the parables uh, of Jesus. And so I said the first week that we started this, just to recap it, that, you know, uh, theologians, and I think it's quite obvious actually to most of us that we're, we as human beings, as creatures, we're, we're people of desire and, and, and shaped by those things that we love. I mean, uh, one theologian that I, that I love actually says that the picture that we have in our heads and our hearts of what that good life is, like what it means to have the good life, whether it's the retirement or the best job or, you know, great kids, whatever that is, whatever that picture of our good life is, that, whether we know it or not, we have a tendency to shape all of our life, all of our habits are formed around the pursuit of that. And so the habits we form, the, the way that we, we adjust our time, our energy, our hours, all of that is formed by this picture of the good life that we have, what we pursue. And I think Jesus knew that. And so Jesus did something while he was here through his teaching where he talked about the fact that there is a picture of the good life. He actually called it the kingdom of God. And he told stories that we often call parables to help us see what that good life looked like to what the kingdom of God looked like. And, and so each time he said, the kingdom of God is like, or each time he said the kingdom of heaven is, is like, it's almost as if he's saying, imagine a world like this. Because here's the thing, folks, and you know this. We all, if we're not careful, we begin to see the world as we see every day, our daily lives, as the only picture for what that good life could be. We do. We're just shaped that way. And so Jesus says, no, let me tell you what is really real. Let me tell you about a kingdom that's completely different from the kingdom of this world. Imagine this. So that picture would come into your head and your heart, and that would be what you pursue. And your life would be formed around that. Your habits would be formed around that. He's inviting you each and every time to imagine a world like this. And today's no different. Today our final parable is found in Luke 18. Luke 18, where Jesus is inviting us again to imagine a world like this. I want to read it out, out loud for you this morning. If you have your scripture, I invite you to turn there. We have Bibles on the table in the back of the uh, room here. And if you don't have a Bible, feel free to pick one up. If you don't have a Bible at all, pick one up on your way out today or right now. It's yours to keep a gift from us. I want us to get into the Word so the Word can get into us and change us. So Luke 18 says this, now he told them a parable, talking about his disciples and Jesus, Jesus told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. He said, there was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people, and a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. 
For a while, he was unwilling. But he later, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay in helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for this time together. And even now, Lord, as we've come off of a, of a holiday weekend of lots of eating and family and friends, Lord, I would ask that our, maybe our tiredness, our, our uh, indulgence, whatever it is that brought us here this morning, wouldn't lull us in a place where we miss what you want to say this morning. Open our ears, open our hearts to what that is. Lord, help me convey your truth this morning. I cannot do this without you. We cannot hear these words and put them into action without your spirit. So speak, Lord, we're listening. I ask that this isn't a transfer of information, Lord, that for each and every one of us, even me, that this is an opportunity to be transformed, that our minds have the opportunity to be renewed by your word, by the power that is in this truth, and that we would be changed and that tomorrow would be different because we were here today. We love you, Lord. We thank you for loving us first. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, if you don't know, I have kids. They're wonderful kids. But sometimes, my kids can bug me really bad. Especially around, yeah, can you believe it? Yeah. Especially around, like, most recently I can think of Halloween. Like, Halloween's great, but then you have every day after Halloween where the kids have all this candy and they literally bug you constantly because they want to eat it. And like Jess and I, my wife Jessica and I, we want to be good parents, so like we don't want them to eat, you know, candy 24-7 so their teeth rot out and their stomachs are bad, but constantly, every, I mean, it's, it's the day or two after Halloween, it's like every time I see them, it's not like I'm like avoiding them in the house, because they come up to me like, can I have a piece of candy, can I have a piece of candy, you know, they bug me and bug me and bug me and bug me, and, and sometimes they just bug about the same thing over and over, and my, and my oldest, I even told her this morning I was going to talk about her, uh, my oldest is, she, if God doesn't use her to be a lawyer or some kind of, you know, I don't know what, she's, she's, she's got rhetoric mastered at this point, because she's like, well, did you ever think then maybe, you know, she, can, she brings the greatest arguments. I can see by the shaking of the head, somebody who had kids just like this before. Always got an angle when she's coming up, but bugging me over and over again. And, and you know, the best thing is, is as a dad, I've, I've really just been great about learning this thing where I can just ignore them. <laughs> right? I just put them off, you know. Like, they could talk, especially if, like, football's on. I don't even hear them. But, um, you know, I could just ignore them because if I say no the first time, it's, that's, that's it. Like, that's the answer. So, you know, just you're talking to a wall. But there's a difference because, you know, they can pester me. They can call. They can, they can bother me over and over again. I can ignore them. But if something happens in the house, even after one minute they're pestering me, where they call out my name and immediately because of the tone of the situation, I know something's wrong, I have the ability in that moment to know whether or not they're screaming out or whether they're hurt, whether they're fighting with their sister 
or whether it's a true emergency. Somehow, I, you know, God just wires us as parents to know. Now, every once in a while, they cry wolf, and we have to have a conversation about that. But for the most part, I can tell the difference between pestering and an emergency. And I can hear at the moment of, I just know. And when, sometimes when they're fighting, I'm like, they'll work it out. But other times, if they're really really hurt. I can fly like nobody up there to see what's wrong or wherever they're at. God's wired me that way. But here's the thing. A lot of times, most of us see God treating us as if we're pestering children. We don't see prayer and we don't see God as the second half of that. We don't see God as if we're cry out to him that he's going to move immediately into action. We actually believe that we have to be the pestering kid over and over and over again going to him. We have to beg him. We have to make sure that he's hearing us. We have to make sure that if he, if he doesn't get tired of us bothering him, he won't grant our prayers. Some of us pray that way. I've heard people, and I'm not, this, I'm not saying this to, to hurt anybody's feelings, but I've heard people say like, God, I know you're busy, but, you know, or, or I've asked people, as a pastor, I've asked people when they've shared their problems, I said, well, have you prayed about it? Well, God, I don't want to bother God with that. We say these things. Maybe we don't even say them. Maybe we just feel them. But this is the, sometimes our approach to prayer. We believe that God is the dad who's sitting up there, and we're annoying him when we come to him. And Jesus, I think, knew that. Jesus knew that our, our, our perspectives can be changed, especially when we go through tough things where we begin to see our prayers as maybe bothersome or maybe that if we don't pray enough, God's not going to do something. I didn't pray enough. I didn't pray the right way. Uh, God's, God's not moving. And we, we, can, we can approach him that way. And Jesus knew that. And he knew that our reality, where we live, we could begin to believe that. And so he told us to imagine a different world, a different relationship with God, and to see God differently when we come to him in prayer. And so that's what our parable is about today. So we're just going to walk through this and see how Jesus tells us this story about it. So Luke started out, he said this, he said, now he told them, Jesus told them a parable, he's t- teaching his disciples on the need for them to pray always and not give up. Jesus said, if you're going to be a follower of God, if you're going to be a follower of me, you need to pray always. You need to be persistent in prayer and never give up. Now, you may just glance over this, but not give up what? What's he talking about? Like, like just never give up like you're, you're in a sports arena? Never give up what? Well, it's important for us to remember, you know, Scripture has to be read in context. So actually, this parable comes on the heels of a conversation Jesus had before this in, in chapter 17. So if you want to look at your, your Scripture, actually it's 17, 20, verse 7, uh, chapter 17, verse 20. I'll have it up here. This is the context in which Jesus tells this parable. It says this, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, see here or there, for you see the kingdom of God is in your midst. The Pharisees are asking, you know, this kingdom of God, when's it coming? When is God going to make everything right? When is things going to be exactly as it was created to be before the fall? When's everything going to be as it should be, where relationships are right, where people are right with God, when your fullness is going to come in? In this context, the Pharisees are asking him, Jesus, when is Israel going to be, be, have its kingdom back? And when are you going to throw these Romans out? that are occupying us? When is all of this going to happen? And Jesus said, it's not something necessarily observable. See here or see there. No, the kingdom of God is in your midst. 
Jesus actually, in this place, he's talking about himself, that I'm here. When you see me, you see God's kingdom. And I want you to remember this. When you read your scriptures and you look at the story of Jesus, when you see what he does when he heals people, when you hear what he teaches, you are seeing, Colossians tells us, that you are seeing a visible image of the invisible God. And when you are hearing his teaching, you are hearing God. And when you see our Lord and Savior stretched out on a cross, beaten and slain for everyone, you see the heart of God. And he says, it's in your midst. What I want you to imagine, a world like this, is seen and embodied by me. But he goes on and he says this. He tells his disciples, though, the days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. But you won't see it. See, Jesus told the Pharisees, the kingdom of God's in your midst, but the day's coming when I'm going to return to my Father, and you're going to long to see it. You're going to long to see it, because can we just admit, we're not there right now, are we? The kingdom was ushered in by Jesus, and we know, we preached about that, and you've heard about that in this series already, we have this hope that he will return, and everything is going to be made new, but in the meantime, we don't see it, and he tells his disciples this. He tells them, in the meantime, you're going to be longing. There's going to be a long in your heart for this, everything set right and everything under God. And in the meantime, what do you have to do? Well, that's where he picked up the parable. And he said, I'm going to tell you this parable so that you will pray always and not give up in the meantime. And so this is the parable. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people, and a widow in that town kept coming to him, saying, give me justice against my adversary. Now, it's important. This is set up. There's a judge in a town, and he's supposed to give justice to this widow. Now, when we think of widow in our culture, we think of someone whose spouse died, right? And and maybe for for some widows, not for all, but for some widows, they're okay still, not maybe emotionally, not, not, you know, relationally, but they're left in a place where they can live and they can stay in their same house and they can be attended for, or maybe they had life insurance, whatever it is. But that was not the case in Christ's time. You see, a widow in Jesus' time sometimes was um, was the most victimized person in culture. If you were a widow when Jesus was alive, you had no means whatsoever. And when your husband died, you didn't inherit any money. And if not, not only that, but sometimes you went to the, the husband's family and you stayed with them. And if they didn't have a son to marry you, you stayed with them. But you weren't, you know, like the house guest that was treated all great. No, most times you were treated as if, if you were a servant. Most times you were treated as if you were a bother. You were inferior to the rest of the family. And, and the worst part is, though, if you didn't stay with the husband's family, and if, and if they sent you back to your own family, well, then that dowry that was given to your parents when you got married, that has to be returned to the, the husband's family. So think about how much your family loves having you back, right? Hey, thanks for coming back. Now I had to give all this money back, but I already spent it on a new Lexus. So now i got to sell that, right? That's, that's the situation for these, for these widows. And so they were victimized. They were often sold as slaves. It was not a good thing to be a widow. And something about this story. So, so when people heard this story, it wouldn't have been rare for them to find a widow who was going to seek justice against an adversary. It was someone who was victimized. It was someone who needed someone in power to step in for them. 
And he goes on, he says, for a little while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. This wear me out word is a difficult thing to translate. It literally means, uh, in the Greek, it literally means give me a black eye or make my face black. Okay? Which is an idiom in the Eastern culture, which means so that she doesn't shame me. So that she doesn't shame me, so that she doesn't, so everyone doesn't know. It's not just that she's wearing him out by making him tired of hearing her, but it's also that everyone will find out that he's not just. You with me? So, 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 so she doesn't wear me out so that people don't know that my face is black and that I have a black eye, so that, so that she doesn't wear me out so I don't get tired of it because she keeps pestering me. I'm going to help her out. Jesus says this, listen to what the un just judge says he doesn't want us to miss this now one of the problems with this parable if you've heard this parable before is the same problem we have when we approach God in prayer we read this parable and immediately we think that the application is we've got to wear God out like the unjust judge right we've got to pester him just like the widow does so he'll finally move in our direction but that's not what Jesus is saying. He's listened to what the unjust says. He says, this is who I am. This is who the judge is. And he's actually, this is a contrast and compare. So he's contrasting God with the judge. He says, will not God grant justice to his elect, those who have chosen that he has chosen? Will he not grant justice to them who cry out to him day at night? Will he delay in coming to them? He says, this is a widow. This is the low, one of the lowest positions in society. And this unjust judge who doesn't respect God, doesn't respect people, he's going to give her justice. Will not God, who treats you not as a widow, but as sons and daughters, who you are beloved, who's died for you, will he not bring you even more justice? It's almost as if Jesus is saying, if an unjust judge, if a jerk's willing to do this for her, how much more would God do it for you? And she's coming to him, pestering him. How much more will God do it for someone who cries out to him day and night? The cries of his children, just like me. If I hear my children crying, there is nothing that will get in my way from stepping in and saving them. Nothing. Will not God do that for you? Will he delay in helping them? He says there won't be a delay. He even, he even goes further than that. He says, I tell you, he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus is saying that he's going to come, he's going to bring them justice. If we cry out to him, God's going to bring his elect, his chosen one, justice. Nevertheless, though, will the Son of Man find faith when he comes? When he returns, is he going to find people that are faithful, that are persistently believing that this is who God is versus the unjust judge? Now, here's the problem, though. Let's be real this morning, because we don't want to just talk about Bible stuff like it's not real. Here's the problem with this passage. What God's saying, or what Jesus is saying about God, what Jesus is inviting us to imagine about God this morning, doesn't always seem to add up to our reality, does it? Let's be honest. How many of you have cried out to God? And he didn't come swiftly. 
In fact, it seemed like he delayed a long, long time. Maybe you're here this morning and he's still delaying. How many of you feel like God didn't bring justice? Somebody wronged you. Somebody did something. Or maybe the justice, the justice in this, this, this uh, passage actually refers to legal terms where a judge makes everything right. Maybe you realize that, you know, things haven't been made right. And it surely seems like he's taking a long time. It's not swift. Right? And so you're like, okay, Jesus, I get it. You want me to imagine a world where God is this God who's going to come quickly. God is this God who's going to bring justice. God is a God who's, who's not going to delay, and yet it doesn't feel like that in the meantime. Jesus says to us that we need to imagine a world. We need to question whether or not it's true that we worship a God who's a how much more God. A God who's different from a judge, who, who doesn't even respect people, doesn't respect the law, who just ignores the cries for people unless they pester him. And God wants, Jesus wants us to know, no, our God's a how much more? How much more will he give you? But we need to wrestle with this. I'm asking you this morning to wrestle this. And Jesus tells us that the goal for this parable, the thing he wants us to imagine is that in the in-between, between his time here and his time return, the only way we're going to see in how much more God the only way we're going to overcome the reality that this God who will come swiftly, who will bring justice, who will make everything new, who hears our cries, who loves us, who has chosen us, the only way we're going to see him this way versus the reality we see every day, the only way we're going to imagine him as the God who is, is through prayer. Is through prayer. Remember the biggest part of the first passage. It says, he told them this parable so that they would pray and not give up. You want to see how much more, God, you have to pray. There's another parable real quickly. Don't turn there if you don't want to, but it's uh, Luke 11. Luke 11, I'm just going to read it out to you real quick, starting at verse 5. It's a very similar parable this morning. Luke 11, verse 5, it says this, He also told them, Suppose one of you has a friend that goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine has come on a journey, and I don't have anything to offer him. Has this ever happened to anybody? Somebody comes over to your house, and you're like, I literally have nothing to give these people. I hope they like four-month-old Ritz crackers and tuna fish, because this is about all I have, right? You should have called before you came, because I got nothing to feed you, right? So this is what happened, and uh, then, he, then his friend will answer the door and come inside and say, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children have gone to bed. The parents in the room who have small ones will say, amen. And I can't give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will give up, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And so Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Shameless boldness to ask Shameless boldness to seek. Shameless boldness to knock. 
and shameless boldness to seek God in the in-between and cry out to him because you believe, you can imagine that your God is a God who hears you and will answer your prayers. And if he is delaying and if it doesn't seem like it's swift, it's because his timing is not your timing, his way is not your way, and yet you persistently pray, believing in who he is, not what your reality here says he is. Our persistent prayer is not pestering. Our persistent prayer has a purpose, folks. And when you can't see it, it has a purpose. His prayer is, the the purpose of prayer is this. The prayer is where we meet our how much more God. And I, I have a worry sometimes in churches. Our church is no different. That we don't pray enough. Out of all the things that we could do to connect to God, that we don't pray enough. Sometimes I hear things, and I even say it, oh, the least we can do is pray. No, the most we can do is pray. And folks, listen, I'm guilty. I can stress about something for two weeks, and finally, when I can't figure out how to solve the problem myself, then I'll start praying about it. And I'll say, I don't understand, God, what you're doing. I'm crying out to you. God, you know what I need before I even ask, and yet I can't seem to figure out what he's doing. And I'm frustrated. And I call out to him, and he doesn't answer. But if I'm honest with you, I'm not getting on my knees and seeking his face so that I will meet my how much more God and believe that even though I don't understand what's going on, that if I would just get to know him and get time with him and, be time, and spend time with him and listen to him and speak to him, that my heart would change and I would see him for who he is. For the God who's shown in this parable, the God who hears my cry, the God who has chosen me, the God who loves me, The God who will hear my persistent cry and act swiftly and bring justice and make everything new. Prayer is where we meet our much more God. But you would say, but Dan, you don't understand what I'm going through. But Dan, I prayed for her. He didn't answer. But Dan, this doesn't seem to add up to where I am. And I would say to you, I know, and so did Jesus. That's why we have these parables. He would. This is why he wanted to show us this reality because our reality doesn't add up. You know, a few years ago, um, our little girl Lydia um, was really sick. And uh, really sick. I mean, we were giving her ibuprofen and Tylenol every two hours, switching off, just to keep her temperature around 104. And she was having ice baths and she was hallucinating because her temperature was so high. And they... We kept taking her to Hershey, and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. And they didn't want to put her in the hospital because they wanted her to be at home, and they were pumping her full of stuff, and nothing was happening. They couldn't diagnose her. No test came back with what she had. She was super sick, and we were super scared. We were. We were at our wit's end with the doctors, and so I called my dad in tears, and I said, Dad, I'm scared. We're going to lose our little girl. And she was, what, two? Probably two. Her, Her skin was red with how high her temperature was. And so we followed what James said. We called the elders of the church, and they came. 
And we anointed her and we prayed for her because we wanted to meet in that moment or how much more God and we cried out to him. And the next day she woke up with no fever and a black eye. <laughs> yeah. And the black eye was a physical symptom of a form of meningitis that if it would have went into her optic nerve, it would have killed her by attacking her brain. But because her eye got black, we could take her to the doctor. They knew exactly what it was, gave her the right medicine, and she was fine in 24 hours. Because a God answered our prayer. And I'll never forget that. And I will praise him, and I will say that in that moment, I met my how much more God. But can I also tell you that I, have, I had a best friend, my wife and I had a best friend who has kids the same age as us, who was diagnosed with breast cancer, and I prayed for her every single day. I anointed her four times. We had people surround her and pray every single day, and two years ago, she died. Younger than I am now, leaving her kids behind, and he didn't answer the prayers. At least the way we saw it. And he didn't hear us cry out, at least the way that we saw it. And it didn't seem like he was the God in these parables, at least the way we saw it. But I still believe, and I still pray, and I still anoint people, because I believe at one point or another, his kingdom is possibly going to break in and going to heal somebody I'm praying for. And that you're going to see the kingdom of God come into the midst, and we're going to give him all the glory. And that I also believe that our friend who died of breast cancer is fully healed. And one day, she will be with me, and she will be perfect. And that he isn't, shout, he isn't shirking on his promise to me to bring healing, that she is healed. It just wasn't the way I saw it. And so in the moment where I cannot see him working, I have to believe that there is a how much more God, and I still go and pray to him every single moment, because this is the truth that I see everywhere throughout scripture, that the purpose of prayer, the purpose of prayer is not to bend God's will towards ours, but to bend our will towards him. And that his will is not our will. And his ways are not our ways. And when I'm in the in-between, as Jesus said in Luke 17, the kingdom of God is in your midst, but there's going to be days when you're not going to see him and you're going to long for this everything made right. And you're going to long for the presence of God in your life. That in this in-between, if you can't understand it, if you can't see it, that when you pray, you will begin to see him and you will begin to see him as a how much more God who isn't absent, but is there. And every time you lose faith, folks, what Jesus wants you to know is if you don't have faith, then enter time in prayer so that you can count on his faithfulness. The purpose of our prayers are not to be pestering. The purpose of our prayers is to be persistent because the purpose is that we will see God for who he is. That's what I believe more than anything. So when bitterness or resentment seep into your heart because God didn't come through and I prayed and he didn't answer and I heard the pastor say that his daughter got healed, why isn't he healing this person? When that seeps in, you know what you do? You pray. When depression seeps in and things don't seem to be going right, it seems like a simple answer. It may seem trivial to you, but folks, it's not. You pray. You get on your knees when you don't have any belief left in your spirit, you know what you do? You pray. And you say like the man in the Gospels, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. You pray. 
When you can't see it, when you can't imagine it, when you can't stand it anymore, you pray. You believe that there is a God who sees it, who hears your cries, who's chosen you, who loves you, who made a promise that he's going to set everything right, that one day there's no sickness, no more pain, no more suffering, that his kingdom is going to be full. And you can imagine it because Jesus told you about it, and it's as real as you and I are in here today. And that it is a promise, and so when you don't have the faith to believe it, you get on your knees because you may not see it, but he will show it. And he will reach you in those moments. If you need healing, you pray. Folks, when you don't have eyes to see, when you don't have ears to hear, when this world has blinded you to the God who we know and love, the God who stretched himself out on a cross and took the pain of this world, the sin of this world, for you and for me, and defeated death three days later so that it doesn't have any victory over you. When you can't see that, you pray. Because prayers where we meet are how much more God. And if you can't see him this morning, he's here. And if you're in the middle this morning, if you're right here right now and you say, Pastor, I, I can't imagine it. I just can't. I can't see that this is who God is because you don't know what's going on with my life right now. You don't know what's going on in my relationship. You don't know about this pain that I have. Folks, I'm going to tell you as your pastor, I believe more than anything in those times it's okay to go to him. But you know what we have to do? We have to pray because he will show us who he is and our will and our reality and our very hearts will be bent towards him. In those places, if we seek him, we will find him and we seek him with all our heart. So I didn't have this planned, but I just feel like the Spirit wants me to do this. So as the band comes up, I want to invite them to come up. If you're in, the, in between this morning, I want, you to, I want to invite you to come up and pray. And I would ha- be happy to pray for you. And uh, the elders, I know you're all, all three of you are here. If you guys could come up too. John and Tim and Devin will come up and you can just choose one of us and we want to pray for you. We want to be a church that seeks him. That says the place that Jesus is asking us to imagine is not imaginary. No, it's actually more real than what we experience now because this is a broken reality. His reality is perfect. So, no pressure. No coercion. But as they play, if you need to pray because you can't see it, come on up. Let's put a stake in the ground and say, this is who our God is. And I want to see my how much more God working in my life today. Go ahead, guys. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are the righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while the conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Holy Church, 
could I hide? Darkness is deluge. The heart of a man is amazed within. So come light the way, illuminates sin. Nothing's concealed, all is revealed. Jesus, I yield to Judge of the secrets of the hearts of men. Here I surrender and humbly repent. You've conquered my soul, now be its defense. Judge of the the hearts of men. I was condemned under your law, rightly I stood here. I felt my need, my conscience agreed, I was without excuse. So how can I judge the ones who fall? I know in my heart I'm just like them all. I will confess my righteousness. Jesus must rest in you. Judge of the secrets of the hearts of I surrender and humbly repent. You've conquered my soul, now be its defense. Judge of the secrets of the heart. See 
see that when we, when we can't imagine, that's what I want us to end with, that's what I want you to leave with today, we've been talking about Jesus saying, imagine a world like this, well what happens, what happens when I can't imagine it, what happens when I can't see it, what happens when the problems, the realities of this world blind me from that, God's very clear, ask, seek, knock, because how much more will I give? Luke 11, it says, at the end of it, it says, how many of you, a, a man who's, who's not holy, who's not God, if your child came and asked for something, wouldn't give it to them, would give them a serpent instead of something to eat? Jesus says, how much more will your Father give you the Holy Spirit if you ask for it? That's who we worship. That's who we seek, and then we can't see it. We can't imagine it. He's still here. And so what do we do? We pray. Because we don't speak into the air. We don't have figment, figment of our imagination conversations with an unknown God. No, the creator of everything who spoke the very world into motion through the death and resurrection of his son has given you access to the throne. There is no more a holy place. There is no need for me. There is no big veil. It's been torn. And you have access to him, and boy, does he want to talk to you and to encourage your heart to say, I am a how much more God. That's the God I imagine. That's the God I believe in, and I hope you do too. God bless you all. Thank you for being here this morning. I can't wait for next week as we begin Christmas together. God bless you. Have a good week.